Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Create beautiful books with Vellum. Create ebooks for every platform with Vellum, Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, and more. Each specialized file will guide readers to buy your next book in their store of choice. For print, choose your trim size and Vellum does the rest, giving you a professional result. Vellum 3.0 features 24 styles with 16 all-new designs. Each one allows for multiple configurations, giving you a new world of options for your books. Add a rich background behind the beginning of every chapter. You can even set the mood with white text on a dark background. Vellum comes with six illustrated backgrounds ready to use in your book, as well as a custom option where you provide your own. Also included in Vellum 3.0, new options for fonts, TikTok for social media, size control for custom ornamental breaks, and new trim sizes for your print books. Vellum. Create beautiful books. We're here with Dan Cobalt, who is the editor of two books that are wonderful resources for writers of genre fiction, titled Putting the Science in Fiction, and then more recently, Putting the Fact in Fantasy. Dan is also a writer. His most recent book is called Domesticating Dragons. So, Dan, tell us, first of all, a little bit about how you got into writing genre fiction, specifically And then we'll talk more about some of those shady corners and things that people don't realize they might have to write about when they wander into genre fiction and some of the research you've got to do. I am the editor of these two nonfiction books that are aimed at writers, but I'm also an author. I've been writing fantasy and science fiction for over 10 years. I don't know. I I guess I first got into the game like many people was a longtime reader thought, yeah, I I should try writing that thing, did try writing, turned out to be really bad at it for a long time. And then eventually, after eight short years or something, I finally sold a book and I did a trilogy with HarperCollins. And then more recently, I've been writing for Bain books. I've been writing books about dragons and genetic engineering. Somehow during all of this, I started this blog series. It originated from me being a geneticist, that's my day job. I'm a, I'm a research scientist. And I started writing a blog post or two about things about genetics that people often got wrong in books, television, movies, etc., and how to get those things right. And so I was like, this is useful. And I wrote a couple of those. And then I thought, man, it'd be great to have this for like so many different areas that people get wrong occasionally in media. And so I started inviting my friends to do this, like fellow scientists and engineers and doctors for the science fiction side, 
And then while I was at for the fantasy side, I started recruiting like historians and linguists and martial artists to talk about their area of expertise as it applies to writing genre fiction. What is the short course tutorial they can give to someone to help them get the details right? I know that I personally haven't written a fantasy felt like, oh, this will be great. I can make everything up. This is all my imagination. That ended up actually being the hardest thing I've ever done was writing a fantasy series. You don't realize that you actually do have to do research and that you have to know some things about our world or about how certain things work in order to be able to write a convincing, believable world in a sci-fi or a fantasy world. And I think a lot of people that are first starting to wander into genre fiction don't understand the amount of heavy lifting that's involved. Yeah, that's true. I think Fantasy writers, we think we get to make everything up and it's great and we have total freedom, but most stories have some rooting in the real world and real human experiences so that people can relate to them as readers. And so when you start building a little bit around things that happen in the real world, it's easy to get into trouble. You're like, well, these people got to get around, so I'm going to give them horses in this fantasy world. And you're like, okay, horses. And then you realize you don't know all the different parts of a horse or how to describe them or what they can do, how long they can gallop, what to feed them every day. Like there's just so much to quickly get in over your head, even though you're like, no, I'm making all this stuff up. There still has to be some grounding in reality. And for this blog series and then eventually the book, my argument has been that the more you cover your bases for things that are going to touch on reality, the more that people think, okay, this person knows what they're talking about. And then you get to make up other things where you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. You get more leeway with the readers. One of the most helpful things that I ever came across as a writer of any type of fiction was the advice that you don't have to convince an expert that you know what you're talking about. You just have to convince the average reader. So Dan, obviously you're a (laughs) geneticist. So anytime you're watching a TV show, a movie, or reading a book that has any sort of science about genetics or Mm. cloning or something like that, you know when they're full of shit. But (laughs) that's you most everybody else that's watching this or reading this is going to be like, oh yeah, like they won't even notice. So for example, I'm a farmer's daughter. Farming is never right. Farming is wrong in every movie ever. Like it's all wrong always, all the time. And I notice it. Quick example is A Quiet Place. A wonderful movie, loved it. But the whole thing is you have to be quiet in order to never get attacked by the monsters they're doing like self-reliant living and they're farming the entire place where they live is surrounded by a massive cornfield that is planted in perfect geometric rows that you cannot do unless you used a tractor harvester (laughs) exactly it's like that didn't happen because those things are loud right it's like that is not hand planted literally no one noticed this, right? Except me. But I'm like, aliens? Yes, I completely accept aliens. You didn't plant that corn by hand. (laughs) You do only have to convince the average viewer or reader. But you do need to put in the work so that someone like you or like me can not be entirely pulled out of the story because I was pulled out of the story. I was enjoying the movie. I was having a great time. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's wrong. 
And, and then um, all you could think about was the corn. No, it's very true. And then anybody I know that has any sort of knowledge about like historical weaponry, they can't hardly oh, watch yeah. anything. They're like, it's all wrong. Everybody has some expertise in something, right? Some experience from childhood or it's their profession or they've spent years and years around it. Everyone has some area where they're an expert in something and they're usually very hard to please. So I think step one is avoid the most glaring errors, you know, Mm -hmm. avoid the things that are common myths or misconceptions that everyone gets wrong. And then step two is get a little bit of fundamental knowledge enough to show that you're at least basically competent and you know enough to be dangerous. That way you'll fool the average reader who doesn't know much about it. You'll at least satisfy or placate the reader who is deeply knowledgeable. And they're like, okay, clearly they don't know about corn farming as much as I do, but at least they didn't have uniform rows when you're not not allowed to drive any machinery. So that's what the book is about, right? It's like get a bunch of experts together tell writers how to avoid the glaring errors and how to at least seem basically competent in a variety of subject matters. Know enough to be dangerous is a really good way to put it. Um, Looking at the first collection, which is called Putting the Science in Fiction, uh, that came out in October of 2018 from Writer's Digest Books. I've got my copy right here in front of me. Part one, research labs, hospitals, and really bad ways to die. People get hospitals and medical stuff wrong constantly. Yeah. Um, genome engineering, the brain in general, space, things to know for when Skynet takes over, rocket science, <laughs> right. literal rocket science, cryopreservation, time travel, light travel, all of those things. One of the things I really like about putting the science in fiction is these are the things that we know. How do you want to take that and then move off of that with your extrapolations of fiction? Right. Future extrapolation and like this is the current state of knowledge and where can you take it? At least get your starting point right and then take it where you want. If you think about the current state of space travel, it is significantly advanced over the 60s but still primitive compared to where like most space operas are, et cetera. So, so I figured at least a basic instruction in some of the fundamentals will help writers, you know, cover their bases and then be able to explore areas wherever they want with a solid foundation. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about how did you go about gathering the folks that contributed to these collections? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I this started as a long-running blog series, which it still is, but the process is essentially the same. I found people who were experts that many of them also were writing in genre fiction already. That's how I got to know them, through the writing community, right? And then so someone would make the mistake of indicating that in addition to being a writer, they were like an engineer or a doctor or... A linguist or something like that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, now we're going to talk about coming to do a guest post because the way I always hook them is I'm like, do you ever notice that like some people get these fundamental things wrong so often in books and television? And they're like, yes, it always bothers me when I'm like, well, oh, how would you like to put that into a guest post? And that's how I cajole these people to come and write about their area of expertise. And I think it's very useful for many of them to be genre fiction writers because they're in the genre they know many of the works and so they can use examples like okay in this super popular 
book series, what I like about how they address this thing is this, but the fundamental problem that always throws me out of the story is that. So it's useful to have accessible examples from people who are knowledgeable in the field too. And they just happen to be real world experts. I always talk about networking, especially in the publishing industry, making those connections and talking to people because you were learning these things before you went out and shared them with the world. You were learning these things through these conversations. And I think that it is so fascinating Also, how small our circles can be. So I got my copy of Putting the Fact in Fantasy, and I'm just, you know, running down the list of contributors. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know him. I know her. I know them. Right? (laughs) It is a wonderful pool of knowledge that is wide and varied that you can definitely uh, draw from. You don't have to look too far to find someone who knows more about a subject than you. There are a surprising number of experts floating around because sci-fi and fantasy, I argue, they attract smart people. There's almost always somebody that has something in their real world job or area of expertise or upbringing that's super relevant to writing fantasy or science fiction and that they can probably teach almost anyone about. So like you, I'm always thinking about meet new people, find out what we have in common, what we have in common is we all like to write and be writers. And they're often these extra avenues that we might want to explore like, oh, really? Like. You grew up on a farm and you now currently keep a whole menagerie of animals. We should talk about that sometime and and share that information with other people. I want to go back to a project that you and I worked on together that was your baby. We worked on like an audio serial called The Triangle. You came up with the story and you recruited me. But then because it is about, you know, a plane crash and an island in the Bermuda Triangle, you were smart enough to then get our other co-author, Sylvia Wrigley, who is a pilot. When you're writing something like that, where we're talking about very, very specific types of travel and how do we fix the plane and try to get off the island? (laughs) It was so viable, right? I mean, and and that's the, the best thing you can possibly have is somebody sitting next to you who knows everything about the thing and they can just be like, stop right there, you're wrong for five different ways, which is what Sylvia did for us a lot. She investigates like airplane crashes and stuff. It was the perfect thing for when we're writing about the Bermuda Triangle, like uh, all these boneheaded mistakes that mostly I was going to make about <laughs> how these things came to pass. She was like, no, no, this is actually how they would investigate that, how the call would happen, all this stuff. So the best thing you have is an expert sitting right next to you that's like going to tell you where you're going wrong or how to do this right, that you can ask a million questions. Most of us don't always have that luxury unless you're super wealthy and can just hire a panel of people to sit with you and answer your questions. You have to have some other way to get that expertise. So it's useful to collect that sort of information on a blog or a book or something. It can be a reference for anybody that needs it. Yeah, having Sylvia literally sitting next to us in the writer's room and we would be brainstorming and we'd be like, well, what if, how could, what if they, maybe, and she's like, nope, nope, nope. Well, I guess we got to think of something else then, right? And it was so useful. It it was. That was fun. That was also my claim to fame is like, yeah, I did this thing with Minnie McGinnis once. And then (laughs) now she's writing with James Patterson. So it's almost like I'm James Patterson. You'll be able to Kevin Bacon me. (laughs) I know. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have your hand in so many pots and so. I do. Well, that's because I don't have a personal life and all I do is work. Whether you've written a novel, memoir, poetry, nonfiction, young adult, or children's book, you need a website to promote your work of art. 
PubSite is here to make that easy. PubSite allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great looking professional website. This easy to use DIY website builder was developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your website with a 14-day free trial or hire PubSite to set up the website for you. Authors like Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, Janet Daly, and hundreds more use PubSite. Visit PubSite.com to get started today. That's P-U-B hyphen S-I-T-E dot com. So talking about putting the fact in fantasy, I was looking at this over the weekend and um, a lot of the things that I thought were super useful aren't necessarily strictly for fantasy. There are a lot of things in here that you could use all across different genres. Something else that I thought was really interesting and that is interesting about you as an individual, obviously you're drawing on your science background and your genetics background in putting the science in fiction. Quite a few of your contributions in putting the fact in fantasy have to do with hunting and with archery. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's that's my side hobby. And it was my small contribution to this series because similar to you with like growing up in farmland, I, I grew up spending a ton of time in the woods. And so I'm always bothered when things are woefully wrong in the depiction of like being in the deep woods and, and getting around. And then also the archery thing. It's just like personal fascination of mine, something I spent a huge amount of time doing. So I'm hard to please in that front too. But that was my, I was like, this is fantasy adjacent. I, you know, I can write about archery for this book and I'll write about being in the deep woods and what that's like for this book. Cause I wanted to have some little part that I could contribute to this. Right. And mm-hmm. I, this is the best I had. I mean, a, a lifetime of bow hunting in the woods and using historic methods to pursue deer and turkey and other game animals. I've never been much of a hunter. I I know weapons. We'll just say I'm on the perimeter of hunters. So I used to, I don't anymore, but I used to watch The Walking Dead. And I remember watching a a scene, like a fight scene where, you know, Daryl's got his crossbow and taking him down. And then he's out of arrows and he just runs into like a group of zombies and he's just hitting them with his crossbow over and over. And I'm like, oh, no. no." (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no. you're gonna have to recalibrate that thing, you know yeah that the, yeah like the the finely tuned instrument of for range shooting is not a bludgeoning tool if i were your writer consultant i'd be like well first of all mindy when it's a crossbow they're called bolts not arrows there you go. And it would be like your 101 course on, <laughs> on the art it's not an arrow it's a bolt so i enjoyed your essay about archery very much but then my favorite thing you were like, anytime anybody is running through the woods, no, they're not. You fall down. <laughs> yeah. In true woods, especially in the part of the country where you and I live, like it is thick in there. Yep. And it's underbrush and everything has thorns and all the timber, is, you know, all the fallen timber is underfoot. Unless you happen to know every square inch of it because you've been there and there's a very nice trail. Like generally, you're picking your way through this stuff and trying not to get completely torn up. You're yep. not full on sprint through the woods chasing somebody with a sword. I mean, it's just never going to happen. I mean, there are times when there are things that are absolutely impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
and you places where you can't get to. You're like, nope. Okay, I just have to totally go back and and go around. And I am willing to get down on my hands and knees and like crawl through the undergrowth to get where I'm going. But there are times, even then, I'm like, nope, can't get through it. There's just like no physical way to fit through thick patches of woods. And so these are the woods I'm dealing with. It seems like anytime you want to go somewhere, there's no great straight line to go there. You're like, well, no. I can kind of take this small game trail. I won't get too torn up. I can move kind of quietly and it'll go kind of in the direction I need. You can move in the woods quickly or you can move quietly, but you can't really do both. Nope. <laughs> Right. I mean, nope. if you have to get anywhere in a hurry, like anybody's going to hear you from a mile around, including any animals. The other thing that you mentioned that I thought was super useful, you talked about navigating by the stars and you were like, you can't see them. Most <laughs> like, <laughs> of the time you totally can't. So you no. can't even get a GPS signal sometimes. You're not navigating by the stars because you can't see them. There's a canopy. A little detail here and there to let me know you've stepped into the woods or at least talked to someone who has stepped into the woods and you know what it's like. You know, I'll forgive you the small mistakes that maybe somebody who doesn't live in the woods would, would catch if you've at least done a, bit, a little bit of homework. Right, totally. I think that a lot of the stuff actually that are in both of these books could be useful across multiple genres, not just uh, science fiction and fantasy in the science and fiction one, but also um, mental health. There are quite a few different essays oh, yeah. in putting the science in fiction about mental health that are really helpful. There's parts about bipolar, schizophrenia, dementia. Yeah. When we were putting together that book, the editor was like, you know, this is, it's kind of curious. You have, you have all these things that are like sciencey, spacey, engineering things. And then you have this section on mental health topics. It doesn't fit as nicely with the theme. Those are the most viewed posts on my blog series. And there's yeah. so many people that want to handle that well. So we got to keep them. And then she understood. She was like, okay, I, I totally get it now. And those topics are so relevant and wide reaching that section of the book i think it's called the brain is wider than the sky yep which i think is just a lovely section title one of my contributors came up with that it's true right i mean there's so much uh, that we're learning about mental health that's current state of the art that probably people if they're going to write a neurodiverse character should at least have a basic understanding of this was a way for them to at least get the 101 course, right? The crash course in writing about schizophrenia, bipolar, Alzheimer's, those types of things. You were talking about talking to a linguist, but then also horses. And that's one of the things I think is really important, especially in fantasy, but really it can be anything. Horses. So Mindy oh, Arnett, so who is another Ohio author, mm -hmm. she does write fantasy. She's also like a very, very involved equestrian. And she gets like, lit up about people never getting horses right and so there is an actual entire section about horses in putting the fact in fantasy that's true and i fully admit part of that was selfish it was like i know that i don't know enough about horses to be a fantasy writer who has a lot of horses running around so i was like i'm gonna find because there are many many people who um own horses ride horses keep horses, train horses, etc. And they can tell you so much. And so I found several of those types of experts and I got a lot of those articles for the blog series and then for the book because it was so viable to just have them talk about basic things like matching the 
breed of horse you have to the thing your character needs to do. And naming the parts of the horse and the tackle that are required to ride the horse and avoiding mistakes in general like horse care. How much food do they need to bring to feed the horse along the way? Just basic questions like this. So viable to have horse people right there ready to answer. And then you're like, okay, so I've got this, you know, guy and I definitely want to put him on a stallion to have him do And they're like, whoa, well, stop. No, you probably don't. Yeah. (laughs) If he hasn't ridden a lot of horses, you don't want to put him on the most difficult type of horse to ride, et cetera. Just very basic things like that. Horses, I think, so key. You could write a book entirely about horses for fantasy riders and easily find enough people to fill that up. I think people make the mistake when they're riding horses in is like they treat them like cars. It's like I get up in the morning and I get on my horse. Like you turn on your car and then you turn off your car when you're done using your car. And it's like, no, like it's another living thing that is part of your group and you've got to feed it and you got to take care of it. And its health is imperative. It's interesting to me how complicated a horse is. So I I grew up with a friend that had horses, but I have never known much at all about horses. I read all the Black Stallion books. Like that's where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah, Um, My second book, In a Handful of Dust, my characters are crossing the United States. And at one point they, they do have horses. I know that I don't know enough about horses to do this well. And so I, I did ask uh, Mindy Arnett uh, questions and enough that I could like operate that way. But the nice thing was, and I didn't do this on purpose, but it actually worked out well, was that my characters themselves did not know horses very well. So oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So it worked out well. So they could be like, well, shit. Like you said, treating horses as cars. They're actually susceptible to a lot of different types of injuries and illnesses and things that realistically were probably happening all the time when horses were the main mode of transportation. And probably we've lost an appreciation for that now. It brings up a good point, which is my self-serving gain is doing the book and the blog series. Like I learn more than anyone, right? Because I get to like find the expert and have them write about the thing and put their post together. And so I get to learn it first, right? I'm like, oh, this is so useful. And, and almost every time I'm like, ah, man, every, people are going to love this, right? Oh, here are all the things that like most people didn't realize about this particular topic. And, and whether that's horses or military strategy or knife fighting, or even just there's a lot about history in there too, because it's sort of taking inspiration from real world history. And I think probably most people who listen to your podcast now, we have a very sheltered view of history a very eurocentric view of history is what most people get in their history classes in school and that's only a small slice of world history so we tried to cover other aspects african and asian influences on the middle age history of the ancient near east just areas that are really fascinating for world building inspiration but are less covered by mainstream educational sources Absolutely. Last thing, why don't you let uh, listeners know where they can find your books and where they can find these particular titles, putting the science in fiction and putting the fact in fantasy, but also where they can find your blog and where they can access all of the other wonderful resources you have on your blog. I think that if you Google Dan Cobalt or go to dancobalt.com, that's your starting point to find all the things. But the books, you know, they're available in ebook, trade paperback, and they're available in audiobook. 
we really try to make it as accessible to anybody who wants the book, right? Whatever format uh, you listen to, we can get you the book in that form. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. <laughs>